And with that, I want to jump into uh, our time for today and, and the word for today. Well, uh, as many of you know, just came off vacation a couple weeks ago and uh, I was with my beloved. I went down and got her from Florida and she willingly came back with me. Don't, don't believe any other lies. She willingly came back with me. But while we were there, uh, one day we were just chilling by the pool, right? That's a Florida vacation-y thing to do. We were just chilling by the pool. And then this guy, this Bob Hames-looking character came out. And he was a musician, uh, not a musician, he was a magician of all things. And so uh, we had a Bob Hames looking magician there and, and we said, well, let's hang around the pool a little while more and let's watch this magician. I don't know about anybody else, but I love magic. I get fascinated by it. And I'm always trying to figure out how did he do that? How did they do that? And he wasn't doing any like these grand, amazing tricks. He was working with ropes and rings and cards. And every time I'm saying, how in the world did he do that? And I was just amazed by it. I'm like a child in that way. I just love seeing things like that and being amazed. Well, today we're going to find something way more amazing than any musician could or, or magician. I got to get that word right. Could ever do. We're going to see the Lord of the universe stand up and calm the wind and the waves. So why don't we stand up together uh, this afternoon, this morning, and let's read from the word of God. We're going to be reading Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. So it's right there on the board. You've got it in your scripture. Let's read together. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Amen. Today, I'm going to speak from the subject, uh, Lord, Jesus, Lord over creation. Jesus, Lord over creation. Let me pray. Father God, we pray that in the coming minutes that you will work by word and spirit to apply your truth to the heart of everyone who Here's this word. Lord God, it's not enough for us to learn something, to be amused by something, or even to be amazed by something. Lord, we're praying that you would change us. 
by your word and spirit that Jesus Christ may be glorified in and through our lives. Be with us now in this moment, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. You may be seated. Jesus, Lord over creation. This is one of my favorite passages, I have to tell you. One of my favorite passages in the scripture. When I was a brand new Christian, I heard this passage preached about let us go to the other side. And that has stuck in my heart and in my life ever since that point. Jesus is calling us somewhere. And when Jesus calls us and calls you, he's going to get you there. Amen. Let us go to the other side. Praise be to our mighty God. As we go into this passage today, it's starting a new section in Mark's gospel. We've just come off of a section where Jesus is teaching in parables. But now there's a new section here with different themes. There's three themes in these next few chapters, and that is Jesus' power over death. We'll see that in today's passage as well. Secondly, there's a theme of desperation, desperation as, the, as the staging place for the move of God. Desperation as a staging place for the move of God. And thirdly, there is uh, a, another theme in this section, the interplay between fear and faith. And we'll see that out loud in our scripture today. So let us go to the other side. Let's just jump right into the scripture here at verse 35. The scripture says, that day when evening came... He, that is Jesus, said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. Now, I don't know about you, but I know I get happy right then and right there when I read that scripture because Jesus is telling his disciples right from the get-go, he's got somewhere to be and he wants them to go with him. Let us go to the other side. Now, we can miss it in English and we can think that that is maybe a request of Jesus Maybe that is Jesus saying, hey, I've got an idea. Maybe we should go to the other side. But actually, the grammatical form there is that is a command. Jesus is telling his disciples, it's time to go. We're going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It's time to go. And there's an interesting phrase in this, uh, in, in the verse, in verse 36. It says, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was. They took Jesus along just as he was. That's an interesting phrase. What does that mean? Well, we see in this chapter, from the beginning of the chapter, in verse 1, Jesus has been teaching all day long because this verse says, when evening came. So Jesus had a long day of teaching parables and he starts out the day in a boat, standing in the boat and teaching the crowd so that he would not get overwhelmed. So he's been in the boat all day long, teaching and pouring out his heart and, and, and talking with his disciples and letting people know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But now the scripture says that it's time to go just as he was. In other words, Jesus doesn't say, look, y'all, we're going to go in a minute, but I've got to get some stuff together. 
I, I have to uh, uh, freshen up a bit. I don't know if a dude would say that anyway. We do it, but we just don't say it that way. But, but he, he, he says, it's time to go. Let us go to the other side. And he goes just as he is. There's no time to get anything else. There's no time to, to make sure that our provisions are ready. It's time to go. It's time to go now. How does Jesus know that? Jesus is living in communion with his father and his father has given him an assignment. It's time to go to the other side. This reminds me of John chapter 4. In the fourth chapter of John, there's a phrase in the fourth verse that talks about Jesus and it says he had to go through Samaria. In the King James, it said he must need go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. Now, we know that, that Jews didn't have to go through Samaria. As a matter of fact, they went around Samaria. But Jesus had to go to Samaria because he had an appointment there. He had a woman at a well, a sinful woman at a well, and he had a word to share. He had himself to share. He had salvation to share, and she was going to hear it and bring it to many other Samaritans as well Jesus had to go to Samaria he had an appointment and in the same way here Jesus had an appointment on the other side of the sea of Galilee he had to go. It was time to go. He had an appointment. Listen, brothers and sisters, I've been talking last week. We talked about listening to God, right? And this is what I hope for each one of us, that we are listening to God because there are divine appointments for our lives. And Jesus is able to say that the time is now. I must go. And he goes and he moves forward in the will of God. Now, now here's a spoiler alert. When Jesus gets to the other side, he has an appointment. And we'll talk about this in a couple weeks, but it's with a demon possessed man. I hope that's not your next appointment. But if it is, be assured that God has given you what you need in that situation. Amen. God has appointments on our lives. There's a sense of mission in the words and actions of Jesus here. It's time. Let's go. Let's not look backwards, but let's move forwards. Oh, saints of God, too often we spend so much of our lives looking backwards instead of looking forward at the mission of God. We can see that in scripture at times. Lot's wife looked back and she became very salty. Amen. She turned into a pillar of salt in Exodus chapter 14 or in Exodus. After God brings the Israelites through the Red Sea, after he delivers them from uh, the Egyptians and from their bondage and from slavery, they come together and conspire to raise up new leadership and go back to Egypt into slavery. It's time to move forward, not to go backwards. Paul put it this way, looking forward to what lies ahead. He talks about not looking backwards, but looking forward to what lies ahead. He's going to do the will of God in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we need to be people who are looking forward. And this is my question to us today. What 
is your other side? Are you listening to the voice of God? Not, not about simply how you're going to entertain yourself or make your life more comfortable, but what is your other side? What is the missional reason and purpose and movement that God has you in? Where is God leading you? What is your other side? What is my other side? What is the other side for New Life Church? Brothers and sisters, I hope you're listening to God. I'm listening for God's voice in that. I believe that God has a glorious future for his people as we come together in, in, as one unified to do his will by the grace of God. Now, here's the other piece that I want you to see from this verse that just blesses me, and that is this. Everything that doesn't bring glory to God is temporary. Somebody just ought to say amen right now. Everything that doesn't bring glory to God is temporary. Death itself for a believer is temporary. Every setback is temporary. Every difficulty is temporary. God is at work. He says, let us go to the other side. And if Jesus has said it, you rest assured you will get there with him. Let us go to the other side. Next, we see not only this, the setup of what's going on here, but we see the struggle. Look at verse 37. The scripture says, that a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. You know, we can get real excited about our other side. Can't you sometimes when you when you believe God is stirring up purpose in your heart, meaning mission, you know, he's got something for you. That's an exciting place to be. I love that when I'm hearing the voice of God clearly and moving forward in his will. Let us go to the other side. I'm thrilled about that. But here's what we need to understand as well. Almost always getting to the other side involves some major obstacles. It involves some hardships along the way. It involves all kinds of opposition. Listen, if you are moving in the will and the purpose of God, you better know that you're going to be opposed. There is an enemy who will always oppose the will of God. In your life, in my life, through this church, there is an enemy who will oppose and we see in the scripture today that this furious squall comes up. Literally, in the Greek, it says this mega storm. It uses the word mega, and we'll see that through this passage. Furious is mega. There's a mega storm that comes up on the Sea of Galilee. Now, some of you know a little something about the Sea of Galilee. It's actually not a sea, it's a lake. And it is a lake in northern Israel. It's about the size of Washington, D.C. It's a big lake. It's about 13 miles from north to south, seven and a half miles from east to west. It's a large lake. It's about 200 feet deep. And it is the lowest freshwater lake on earth. It's 700 feet below sea level. It's 
the tributary is the Jordan River and the Jordan River flows into it and flows out of it down to the Dead Sea, which is about 85 miles away, which is the lowest point on earth over 2,300 feet uh, below sea level at the Dead Sea. But it's the lowest freshwater lake on earth. And in this place, because of the geography, because of just how low it is and how high the mountains are around it, it is subject to immediate, quick happening and furious weather and storms coming on the lake. As a matter of fact, a few years back in in the 90s, there was a a, a furious uh, storm on the Sea of Galilee, and there's a city on the, in the sea of Gal- on the Sea of Galilee called Tiberias, and they experienced 10-foot waves from a lake. Can you even imagine that? Imagine if you've ever been up to Quakertown or what's, what's up there near Quakertown? Nakamixon. A 10-foot wave coming off Nakamixon. It just doesn't happen like that. But in the Sea of Galilee, because of how low it is, because of how high the mountains are and its proximity to uh, the Mediterranean Sea, the weather can change quickly. And this furious mega storm comes on these fishermen and these disciples and Jesus. And what is Jesus' reaction? The Bible says he was asleep in the back of the boat with his head on a pillow. Jesus is chilling in the storm. And the disciples, now now think about this, the disciples, many of them, Peter, James, John, Andrew at least, they are fishermen who spent their life out on this body of water. They know it like they know the back of their hand. They know the storms that come up. they weathered many of those storms. They've been through it over and over again. This is their life's work. Jesus is just a carpenter. He doesn't know anything about fishing and being out on the sea. And so I can just imagine that they do everything that they know how to do when the storm comes up. But then they see it doesn't matter what we do. We can't stop this. We're going to drown and die right out here in the sea. And so what do they do then? They cry out to Jesus. Amen. Rabbi, teacher. They say teacher, it says in our in our Bibles, probably from the Aramaic Rabboni or Rabbi. Don't you care? Don't you even care if we drown? They're not waking him up in a nice sort of way. Uh, Jesus, excuse me, Jesus, Lord, um, we're having a problem here. No. It's way past nice talk. It's way past cleaning it up. They're at the point of life and death, and they just cry out however they can. This story is in all of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and each of them says a little different thing. I can imagine all of these disciples are saying different things, but Mark's account is, teacher, don't you care if we drown? They are at a point of absolute desperation. Jesus gets up and he stands up in the boat. I don't want to go on to what he does just yet, but but I, I want you to see this. 
Your politeness in prayer isn't going to win you points with God. Honesty does. You need to come to God raw and real. Sometimes we, we, we make our prayers and our words to God flowery and sweet and nice. And God is saying, cut it out. What do you need? They come to God raw and real. It's not pretty. When you come to God, if you're trying to come to God pretty and fix it all up, you're probably not being honest with him. We need to come to God raw and real. And here is Jesus. How in the world is he asleep in the boat at this time of desperation? Some of y'all would have been mad at Jesus. I would have been mad at Jesus. What are you doing? We're about to die. But here we're going to see the humanity of Jesus as well as his divinity right in this passage. Jesus has been teaching all day. He is worn out from what he's done. And he's secure that the father has told him we're going to the other side. So there's nothing to worry about. Jesus can sleep with his head on a pillow in the boat. But the disciples, these weathered fishermen, are freaking out at the same time. Now, here's what I want to ask you this question. Do you complain that Jesus is sleeping in the storm, but then sleep on him when he calls you? Because the irony of this passage is that later on, when Jesus is in Gethsemane, the, the disciples cannot stay awake for Jesus. They're asking why he doesn't wake up. And listen, don't we ask that question all the time? Why are you allowing this to happen, God? I don't understand. I don't understand why this person doesn't get better. The saints of God are praying fervent prayers. The elders have laid hands on them and, and put oil on them. Why doesn't this person get better? Why doesn't this situation change or that situation change? I'm doing what you told me to, Lord. We cry out to God in desperation, but God calls us and calls us to wake up. Now look at verse 39. Scripture says of Jesus, he got up rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the winds died down and it was completely calm. Can anybody just think about what that would have been like to be in that boat? Water. Waves coming over into the boat, furious wind, hurricane-like wind right in your face. You've been on the, the water your whole life. You've never seen anything like this. And the boat is going down. It's at the point where it is going down. You cry out to Jesus. He stands up, comes out of his sleep right away. Thanks be to God that Jesus knows how to get out of his sleep. Amen. Uh, and he comes out of his sleep and he rebukes the wind and the waves. Quiet, he says. Be still. That's actually two words 
in the Greek. Be still is one word in the Greek, not two, like our translation is. But, but even that word is, is written in such a way that, that, uh, it has a grammatical form that's only seen one other time in all of the New Testament. It's called a perfect, uh, a perfect passive. And in this uh, form, a perfect imperative, I'm sorry. In this form, what Jesus is saying to the wind and the waves is this. He's saying, fall back and don't even think about coming back again. He is letting the wind and the waves know your time is over. Stop now and you do not pass go. Do not collect $200. He's saying your time is over. Stop. He comes with authority. He comes with power. This word says that it is a mega storm. We talked about that. This furious storm. But then in this verse here, the wind died down and was completely mega calm. Mega storm. Jesus speaks to it and now it's mega calm. It's just beautiful again in a moment, in a second by the hand of the Lord. Look with me at Psalm 107. I can imagine that after they got their wits about them, they thought of these verses in Psalm 107, starting in verse 23. The scripture says, some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. Verse 28. Then they cried out before the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. This is the work of only one, and that is the Lord of creation. And Jesus is revealing himself in these verses that indeed he fits the bill. He is the Lord of creation. I want you to see something here as well. The words that Jesus uses to stop the wind and the waves are the same words that he uses in earlier passages to exercise demons. To tell demons to be quiet, to shut up, to tell demons to get away, to get out. Your time is up. Jesus uses the same words in rebuking the wind and the waves. So we see that this, although it is Jesus showing himself to be Lord over creation, it's even more than that as well. This is the ongoing battle between Jesus coming on the scene and the forces of darkness that will always oppose him and Jesus speaking not just to physical creation but speaking to satanic forces of darkness saying your time is up stop now throughout the scripture from the beginning Genesis 1 and 2 says darkness covered the face of the deep there's this idea throughout scripture of the sea as a place of evil as a place of wickedness as a place of chaos 
In Revelation 13, this great dragon comes out of the sea. In Job, we see Leviathan coming from the sea. These mighty, wicked forces coming from the sea. But Jesus is the Lord of the sea. And and the good news of the gospel in Revelation 21, it says that in the new creation, there's no more sea. There's no more place for evil and wicked forces to fight the people of God. Their time is up. It's over. Jesus' response here proves that the disciples can and should trust him. Jesus alone is their refuge and their fortress. Now, here's what I want you to do for just a moment. I want everyone here to stop for a moment and to take a moment to think about some of the ways that the Lord has kept you in the midst of the megastorms of your life. Just think about some of the things that you've gone through. Maybe some of the dumb things you've done that put you in harm's way. But maybe also some of the things that have been done to you that put you in harm's way. Some of the places God has brought you from. We used to say, he's taken me a mighty long way. He's the one who can make a way out of no way. Some of you know some places that you've been, know some things that have happened to you, and you know that there's no reason that you're here right now in your right mind. Thanks be to the living God, the one who keeps us even through the storm. Our God is good. Let me look at the last piece here. The reaction of Jesus and the reaction of the disciples. Verses 40 and 41. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They've seen him cast out demons. They've seen Jesus heal a paralytic and forgive him of his sins. Seen Jesus do all sorts of miracles and teach like no one had ever taught before. And Jesus was expecting more from them at this point. He asked the question, why are you so afraid? Do You still have no faith. In other words, what's it going to take to convince y'all of who I am? That's going on. And, And the interesting thing is, if you go through the rest of Mark's gospel, you'll see that that's a theme. And remember that Peter is the one who is probably, Mark writes it, but he's writing the recollections of Peter, one that we call great among the apostles, great among the disciples, Peter. But Peter is not telling Mark anything that says, look at me, look at how well I did. Look at what I've done. Look at these great apostles. Sometimes I wonder in churches, and I've probably been guilty of it, when we, especially when we talk about the apostle Paul, we make him like this indestructible man. But Paul was not that. He was a man like me. He was a human being like everybody else in this room. We can make disciples 
these heroes who are on a pedestal, but there's only room on the pedestal for one, and that is Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's the only one. So it says, they were terrified. Literally, they feared a great fear, a mega fear is what it says. Mega storm, mega calm. And now when it's all over, as fearful as the disciples were in the middle of the storm, they're more fearful now that Jesus has stopped it. They are in awe. They cannot believe what they have seen. Jesus has revealed who he is. He is the Lord. They ask the question, who is this? It's going to be answered by a demon in the next chapter. But they ask the question, who is this? Brothers and sisters, even the wind and the waves obey him, they say. Here's what I wonder for us. Beyond ascribing titles to Jesus, do we consistently live and act in a way that reflects that we believe in his goodness toward us and in his power to do something about it. Because I fear that sometimes we are so bent on getting all of our doctrine just exactly right. You gotta say the right words the right way to get it exactly right. We are consumed with our orthodoxy, but our orthopraxy, how we live out the truth. God is love. That's a true statement. How are we living that out? Jesus cares for each and every one of his children. Are we believing that consistently? We want to get nuances of doctrine right, but God is calling us to live out of faith in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's the thing I want you to see. You would have thought the disciples would have gotten it by now with all they'd seen. But the truth of the matter is that we have seen more than they have. The disciples had not yet seen the fullness of the revelation of the love of God as the, the eternal son hung on a cross suspended between earth and heaven and poured out his life saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They hadn't seen that yet. The disciples, but we have, the disciples didn't know that on the third day, that, that man who was also God, who was crucified on an old rugged cross, would get up out of the grave with all power in his hand. They hadn't seen that yet. And they had not yet received the gift of the Father and the, as he pours out his spirit on his people on the day of Pentecost. They hadn't received that yet. We have all of these things and God is saying to us, let us go to the other side. Trust me, I'll get you there. Trust me, I'm with you. Trust me, there is no power in heaven, on earth, or below the earth that can stop me from bringing you there. 
Oh, our God is good. So what is this passage all about, saints? It's not necessarily about when you call to Jesus, he's going to do something immediately every time. You can't put him in that box. We can't put him in any box. It's not about exactly how he will do what he will do. But this passage is about this. It reveals Jesus Christ, the man, as also eternal, everlasting God. That is what is going on in this scripture. Here's the main point of the scripture. Jesus is the God. I'm going to read Psalm 46. The God of Psalm 46. And you can always trust in him. The psalm says this, God, Jesus, is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of our God. The holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fail. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Brothers and sisters, we serve a mighty God. And he is for you. He will bring you to the other side. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for this time. And we ask your blessing on this word that has just been shared. Oh Lord, do your work in each one of our hearts that your name will receive glory and honor through us. Lord, I pray for anyone here or watching this whatever situations people are in the midst of, that, Lord, you will speak your word to their hearts and that they will know that you are the one who can get them from where they are to the other side and nothing can stop you because you alone are the Most High God. Lord, have your way and glorify your name in each of our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.